Another edition of Meet Me Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Sharp, C70 at the bat at C70 on Twitter. Alan Medlock out tonight. He's doing the baseball thing still. Um, and in fact, if you're in the Tulsa area coming up uh, Wednesday, March 9th, uh, Alan's going to be taking his Tulsa Hell team out onto the field of the Tulsa Drillers to be playing in the high school classic they've got there. So go out there and watch him if you're in that area. Uh, but filling in tonight, we've got um, world famous uh, Kyle Reese from Birds on the Black at Kyler416, no matter what he tells you on Twitter. Um, Kyle, thanks for joining me on fairly short notice to just talk some baseball. It's my pleasure. Uh, good luck to Alan, too. That's awesome. Uh, he's such an awesome guy. I wish him nothing but luck. Yeah, I think he'll do fine with this coaching thing. Um, you know, he's got uh, plenty of experience. We'll see how that how that works. And uh, it's got to be a lot of fun taking the field uh, at the minor leagues stadium. We'll get to talking a little bit about the Cardinal minor leagues here pretty soon. But, you know, as we sit here on Friday night, the 18th of February, Normally, we're talking about, you know, what's been going on, pitchers and catchers. We're talking about the pictures and the the stories that we're getting out of the early part of camp. But lockout's still going on. And Kyle, how optimistic are you? You know, we've, we've seen that uh, spring training games have been delayed today. How optimistic are you that this is it and we'll actually get the season started on time? I've never been. I've kind of been on the opposite end of this. As compared to most people, I think most people were optimistic throughout the whole process that no games would be missed. It might cut into spring training a little bit, uh, but but I've kind of always been uh, been on the, of the mind that the players have so much that they need to to fight for, and I thought they might dig in a little bit, and I thought we might end up losing some games. Uh, uh, the news tonight on Friday, as we record, is that there's supposed to be a, a stream of of more negotiations of. Uh, of things along those lines over the next couple of days, I believe starting Monday and then maybe a couple straight days. Uh, there's kind of an imposed deadline of February the 28th that you kind of have to have a uh, um, uh, an agreement in place by February 28th for it not to interfere with the the, the season. Um, but yeah, I, I still think that uh, I still think that we're in a position where more spring training is going to be lost than just to March 5th. And uh, I, I still think that there's a chance it, it goes into the season. I, it does seem like to me the, the players have given up quite a bit, uh, at least from the reported negotiations. And uh, we'll just see how much more they're willing to, to give up, it sounds like. 
Yeah, it's a little bit interesting. You read a lot of articles now about the fact that this isn't necessarily one of those structural changes that we've seen over the last two or three big lockouts, you know, pensions and things like that. It, It does really feel about how to divide up the money more than anything else. And not to say that's not important, and it's definitely... You know, the players trying to get the money for the younger players and, you know, trying to get their fair share. That is all well and good, but it's it seems a little bit different. It, it maybe to my mind feels like it's something that could resolve itself when they just say, OK, we're just talking about, you know, let's start changing numbers. It just doesn't they just didn't seem like they would have rushed to that stage yet. And like you said, they they may be well, you know, we're talking about a, a CBA that's going to run five or so years, you know, if you miss two weeks of games to get, you know, your point across and get something that you win in that, and that, that lasts for those five years, it may be worth the short-term pain. Yeah. And they already have everybody mad. Like everybody's already mad and they're only going to get more and more mad if they can't come to an agreement. Uh, what's, what's really starting to pull at my heartstrings is I start to read uh, about the businesses in Florida and the businesses mm. in Arizona that are uh, affected by this and such a grand way by not having the tourism industry hit those areas uh, to celebrate baseball in spring training form. Uh, and then something that you, you know, you, you and I, you talked about very briefly before we recorded live, I start thinking about the guys who are on the 40 man who have never played a major league game who are mm-hmm. <laughs> here. Pardon me. There we go. Um, as I try to work through the sinus infection I've been dealing with, but the guys who are on the 40 man who have yet to play a major league game and nearly all of the new 40 man guys, uh, nearly all the new 40 man guys haven't had a major league camp. Uh, they've only ever had a minor league camp. So I I think about them being hurt, but it's those businesses that, that are suffering, uh, as part of, as part of the tourism industry that, that it's like pulling at my heartstrings now that. You know, it's not just the people with uh, the low profile jobs that work for the Cardinals or the Padres or the Yankees, you know, the, the ticket sellers, the, you know, uh, concession people, et cetera. Like, it's not just that, those people that are being impacted uh, in addition to the players and the owners that, that really, you know, other than the fans, really have the biggest gripe, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right. I, I hadn't really thought about that as much, but you're right. Those, you know, people make those pilgrimages to Arizona and to Florida. And, you know, there's a lot of, of people that have not had that kind of, you know, revenue stream for you know two years now, probably, you know, um, 2020 got shut down in the middle of it. And 2021 was not, you know, people weren't making that trip either. Um, yeah, it's gotta be, I mean, there's gotta be a lot of places that, haven't made it or won't make it if they don't get this thing done pretty soon. And that's, that's a terrible thing. We saw an article today in the athletic about, you know, just fans that, you know, they're normal They're every year they go and they haven't been able to go for two or three years or, you know, these, you know, these kids that for their birthday, they were supposed to be able to go to spring training. And now, you know, they have to be told why this is being canceled. You know, there's a lot of collateral damage in this that, I don't know that either side really feels like thinking about it. I mean, I know we all tend to go with the players on a lot of this and for good reason, but you know, it doesn't really feel like either side is too concerned about the damage they're doing to the fan base at all. 
yeah, I, I have no addition additional thought about that right now. I uh, I feel like they probably won't feel it. I mean, you know how it is. Everybody says the same thing. If they'll start reacting when they feel it in their pocketbooks, when the players feel it in their pocketbooks, when the owners feel it in their pocket pocket pocketbooks. Well, the owners will feel it first uh, with some of the gate loss and revenue from from spring training. You know, most players don't get paid for spring training. Uh, so that's, you know, the, the owners will feel it first, but, uh, yeah, as a fans, we can definitely feel like we're being scorned by the lack of urgency in this matter on both sides over the last 80 ish days since the lockout started. Yeah, it's, um, it's a mess all the way around and nothing out of this is sounding good either. Um, you know, I am one that tends to not be for the universal DH. I've never had a huge problem with both leagues being different, but definitely like the DH that seems like it's going away. And it seems like we're pretty, pretty sure to get some sort of expanded playoffs and out of all this as well. Um, I don't know. It's, it's almost to the getting to this point where it's almost not recognizable, right? I mean, to the baseball that at least we grew up with. I I understand that argument, and, and I think that it's – I get what you're getting at. Uh, to me, it will always be baseball. Uh, I, mm. There would have to be some really significant changes. Uh, the DH, I, I understand the pitcher uh, not hitting. I understand DH in the, the, the NL, like upsetting a fan base. I, I understand, um, like, some of the, the fan opposition to the shift. Uh, of course, with analytics – it seems like there's been um, a wedge with fans as it is, but I just, I, I, the sport will always be the sport to me. Yeah. Uh, I, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel any different, even with some of the, the changes that have been made. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't necessarily have that same mindset or that same level of opinion, but again, I'm, I'm the guy who I consume baseball differently. Uh, I, I consume it on a uh, an aggressive level every night when I get a chance to watch. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't have the same perspective on this. I don't think that a lot of other people have. Well, and that's, I mean, I'm not saying that I have the perspective that a lot of people have because I'm fairly sure I'm in the minority on a lot of this kind of issue. Um, and and you know, that's fair. I mean, you're right. The, the, the arguments are there and I, I understand the arguments, but I think to some degree... Well, it's the famous say, what about from Billy Bean? How do you, how can you not be romantic about baseball? It feels like baseball has started to answer that question really easily for people. And I, I think it's, it's also in the, you know, let's get every edge we possibly can. And it's hard to argue with that and with analytics and with, you know, stretching out everything where, you know, we've had this discussion this week with Albert Pujols and people are like, you know, he doesn't help the team. He doesn't do this, do that all good arguments, but there's also that pull of, you know, having him and, uh, Wayno and, 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 uh, Yachty possibly all go out at the same time in Cardinal uniforms. And, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't know where the balance should be on that kind of stuff because you don't want to just, you know, toss away, you know, winning for, for nostalgia's sake. But I think if we don't have some of that romance, of some of that nostalgia, then there's not much point in putting the players out there just run the simulations.
Kyle. Hey, guess you forgot to press the mute button. Uh, <laughs> hey, Alan does that all the time. Uh, you um, know, I think it's because I start going, and people just like fall asleep while they're doing it, and it's, it's um, fair. That's so funny. No, I thought I pressed it, but I didn't. No, I was going to say, uh, you know, the romantic side of baseball. I'm uh, the reason I love minor league baseball so much is to mm. me it's as close to the throwback to what I felt baseball was growing up. The the accessibility. The, the the rawness of it um you know not sure it has a lack of polish but not not uh just like raw on its base level like that's why i love minor league baseball that's why i write and talk about minor league baseball that's why i invest so much of my free time into it uh you know so i i'm with you and right now when you're talking about a sport that you know grosses 10 plus billion dollars a year uh and the money being the issue, it definitely doesn't seem as relatable mm-hmm. or as nuanced as we, the fans, view the sport to be. And usually it's the nuance in the sport, uh, why we love it, especially, you know, us, us olds, Daniel. <laughs> Some more old than others. Um, but, yeah, and, and I think even, I mean, we've even seen the how MLB has done their dirty work to the minor leagues too, besides the construction and and they've kind of started to, you know, use that as a test of ground and it's a little bit more uniform and less quirky, shall we say, than it used to be. It's not to the, the point that it's all, all the, all that has been stripped out of it, but it kind of feels like it's, at least to me, I look on the outside end kind of feels like maybe that's, on that path. What about you? Uh, Daniel, when you say maybe a little bit more specific, can I ask you like more specifically, just like, do you, do you just mean like it's, um, I try to elaborate a little bit more if you can. I'm sorry. I don't mean to. No, no, it's fair. Cause I didn't, but I'm talking about, well, I'm, I'm a one, of course, obviously the contraction, but it does feel like, you know, we're testing out the, it, it, it's almost like the minor leagues have become just this lab for the, for instead of producing players, it's also testing the game. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just yeah. a feeling more than a, you know what I'm seeing, but it just feels like it's starting to work where that may just be like this assembly line instead of, you know, the romance that was there. Yeah, that's, that's probably fair. They definitely, you know, the big thing last year after they contracted all the minor league teams each level kind of had its own little rules quirk, like, mm-hmm. hey, uh, yeah, low A, uh, P- Palm Beach, and, you know, what used to be the Florida State League, they're going to, you know, uh, do the automated automated strike zone, you know, the uh, the pickoff rule, the uh, the size of the bags, and triple, you know, like all those mm-hmm. things, all those things happen at the minor league level, and I'm sure that they will continue to be uh, – a testing ground for certain rule changes and equipment changes, et cetera. I am grateful that most of the um, intense stuff, most of the stuff that would be like the biggest departures from traditional baseball have uh, been, you know, uh, have happened through the independent leagues. Like that's, that's been, you know, that that's been the positive there is that independent leagues doing things like moving the mound back uh, all of that, all those things that they did, like, I'm glad that that stayed out of minor league baseball. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think those drastic changes to the actual um, viewable product of baseball, I think 
I do think that there's a chance in the future that becomes something that happens in minor leagues instead of happens in the minor leagues instead of in the independent league. Uh, but hopefully the major league baseball cooperation with the independent league uh, or the independent leagues cooperation with major league baseball rather means that that kind of stuff will stay there as opposed to infiltrate its way into minor league baseball. I would hope. I agree. Uh, yeah, it's. It seems like the Atlantic League is, especially, is really priding itself on being that that laboratory and testing ground. They're really excited about that connection to Major League Baseball. So, you know, hopefully it does. And I guess if something works there, then maybe it'll move move up up the chain, and finally, maybe at some point in time, get to Major League Baseball. But um, it is good to have that kind of. <laughs> you know, contained area, I guess, to do some sort of damage in and uh, before it gets into the the main product of the minors and the majors. Um, what, I mean, let's talk, we did, we mentioned it a minute ago. Let's talk a little bit, a little bit more about those, those few guys that got added to the 40 man this winter. Right. Um, hey, Daniel, Daniel, real yeah. fast, I'm going to, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. What level of despair do you feel towards baseball right now? I don't know that I would say I feel despair toward it. Um, I don't, I would say there's a lessened passion. I mean, I haven't written a blog post this year. I, I think yeah. that's, you know, I mean, there's not been that much to write about with the lockout and stuff like that. And I'm sure that once the season starts picking up, I'll get back to it. But, you know, it's not, it's almost a little bit like it was in 2020. It's like you start yeah. finding other things to do. And, you know, with the DH, is the DH going to keep me from watching the game? No. But, you know, is the DH and then, you know, playoffs where teams that win 80 or 81 games get into the play? The, is it, is it going to be hard to really get fired up about it? I don't know. Maybe once the games start, it'll all be go back to normal. But when you look at it right now in the outside of the passion of the season, it's kind of feels like uh, uh, maybe it's time where you start saying, is it time to take a step back? That's funny. I'm in the same, like that is so well said. And that's like the exact same boat that I'm in. I, I feel different than I felt in 2020. And maybe it's because I know minor league baseball is on the horizon mm -hmm. uh, where in 2020, there was going to be no minor league baseball. Right. But I don't think about Cardinals related stuff anymore like I, I it doesn't happen in my daily life like i'm not even during the even during 2020 or even during covid even during the the lowest point of the not ex, the non-existent exciting off seasons uh that we've had in past in recent past you know i'd, I'd check twitter i'd, I'd want to know what's going on i'd talk to people about the makeup of the team uh but now i don't even do that like the, there's something about the way that this has gone and maybe it isn't uh how it's how it's all kind of spewed out in front of us between 2020 mm -hmm. uh, and now but I, i'm with you it's it's just like when i hear people start to talk about baseball uh here, you know if i'm if i'm flipping between locally 590 and 101.1 .1, uh the, the two sports radio stations while i'm at work like they start talking about the outfield or uh what are you gonna do at shortstop or the starting rotation or the bullpen or who's who, who's what, or what, like, I'm not, I'm not interested in it. And I don't know if that's a product of the lockout exactly. Or like how, if it's, I don't know if it's a product of the lockout or if it's just a product of the fact that like, uh, 
I have no faith in baseball to do the do something right right now. <laughs> and uh, I, I almost just don't see an end in sight because I just don't trust baseball to get it right. Well, no, and you shouldn't. I mean, baseball has a very, very long history of shooting itself in the foot um, and, and doing exactly what it shouldn't do. I mean, again, this is, this is, you know, prime example. After a pandemic and after all this, there should have been no reason to, you know, go into this kind of degree. I mean, they, you, you work something out. I mean, if you're reasonable people, you say, look, we're going to do this and we'll give you this and let's, you know, let's push this off for five years. Let's, let's see what we can do. Give, you know, give a point here, give a point there. Let's not have a major contention right now. Let's push it down five years and see what happens. And they get that both sides want other things, but it, it just feels like you, you know, this wasn't necessarily time to pick the battles, but the CBA ran out and they decided that they're going to do that. Um, but I don't think it does them any favors. I mean, especially, especially after the contentiousness of 2020 where they're fighting each other in the middle of, you know, a huge pandemic on, you know, whether we're going to play baseball or not and how much it's going to be and all that kind of stuff. I think that left a little bit of, of a taste in some people's mouths and just, you know, foreshadowed what we're seeing now. Do you think that 2020 with, you know, being able to look back on it, do you think that 2020 and how that went, the negotiations for the startup of that season was almost a test run for the owners. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, that they wanted to see, I'm sure they were using it to at least test the resolve of the players and say what, what they were in for yeah. here. Um, as well as, you know, you know, anytime they could start, you know, putting the, we're losing money argument out there as a test run, then they're going to do that. Yeah. I, I've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. the way that, uh, at least the, reported negotiations and quote unquote negotiations because right. the owners just kind of, you know, they implemented whatever they wanted to implement for, for the most part, you know? Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I've been thinking about that a lot more lately about how that feels more now, like uh, the test run, the test drive, the, uh, the, for, for what we're dealing with now. Yeah. Which is, I mean, so, I mean, it's frustrating no matter, but just to, just to think of where we were in 2020 as a society and for them to think that this is the time, you know, the most important thing here is to argue over, you know, you know, money. Um, and I get that it's very important and I get that we're talking about some serious issues, but it, it still feels like it, this is not the time and place to have the lockdown drag out. I mean, you would not have expected, right outside of this pan in, you know, coming out of the pandemic, because I feel like we look like we are now, but we're still kind of at the tails of it, that this is be when you have the second longest work stoppage in, in major league baseball history, um, just shy of the, of the 94 strike. It just doesn't feel like that's the time you want to make that, you know, dig in the dirt or dig in the, dig the trenches and all that kind of stuff. But that's, that's baseball. Yeah, and it's not like they have a bunch of exciting things to rally around, like a home run chase or, or something like that. You know, I they've got Major League Baseball has some exciting players, and uh, but a marketing issue too there that, uh, to me, even in a day and age where you can market nearly anything to anybody at any moment of the day, uh, doesn't make it easy to get yourself back into the favor of fans in a quick manner that you might otherwise need to. And 
to, to me, the easiest way to get people involved, you know, say that they have trouble getting people back in the stands after a, a lockout. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the easiest way to get people in the stands is to have an exciting postseason. And I guess they might think the more teams involved, the more fan bases to, to get excited. But to me, like, and again, maybe it's because of that, that little traditionalist in me. But I think, hey, the more teams actually makes – this less exciting and it makes me less prone to watch. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, I think that, I think that even some of their remedies for some of their solving, some of their, some of their remedies are for getting people back or making the sport more exciting uh, are, are poor. They're just uh, more of a scratch for money. Yeah. It does feel like there's more of a gap in what the fans want, what the, owners think the fans want or the powers that be if, it, if not just ownership um then there might have been at any other time um and and you know part of that the, the ownership groups are different than they were even 20 or 30 years ago when you had like the george steinbrenners or or the you know the one guy that you know really kind of owned it now they're kind of a conglomeration and, and things of that nature that are more focused on the bottom line than, than putting up a winning product together. I mean, I think that's, that's just, that's just obvious. I think just given what we've seen with tanking and everything like that, I'm not saying everybody is like that. I'm not, you know, necessarily painting with a broad brush, but I do think that there's a lot more of looking at the budget versus looking at, you know, who you're going to bring in. Yeah, man, I'm with you. So, um, so let, yeah, so let's go back and, and talk a little bit about those guys that we were we were going to talk about. You know, the Brendan Donovans and, and others that you know they get added to the forty man, so they don't aren't taken in the the Rule Five draft, which hasn't actually happened. Yet. Yeah, I mean that's got to be even more frustrating. It's like you know if they had just not if they had waited on that deadline, those guys could be out there, you know practicing with the minor leaguers, using facilities, things like that. But they put them on, you know, had to protect them for a draft that still hasn't happened. I mean, I, I just, I just don't, those guys have just got to be in such a, you know, kind of caught in this in between and just really getting nothing out of it. Yeah. And then with all four of those guys, you know, um, and I, I meant to do the research, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm hundred percent sure of something before I say it and then I'm wrong. Uh, but all four of those guys weren't involved in summer camp either in 2020. Mm-hmm. So th- this is the, the second time in three years that the lead in to a major league season or to a, to a season, not even a major league season, right. a lead into a baseball season has been taken from them and they have to do things individually. Now, the good news is, uh, Specifically with Donovan and Yepes, because I, I know firsthand, but like, uh, you know, from what I understand with Walsh and Pacheco, uh, all four of those kids are extremely hard workers who understand how to turn practice into practical. Mm-hmm. So those, those are positives. But, you know, both of those guys had a chance to make a serious impression in, in, on, the, on the, the coaching staff on the front office, uh, et cetera. And now with every day that passes that the lockout continues, where every day that passes where spring training is shortened is a less of a chance for those kids to make an impact. Uh, and then, you know, as spring training gets shortened, sure. You know, spring training probably doesn't need to be as long as it is. I, 
I feel like since I was a kid, that was always the conversation you would hear. It doesn't need to be as long as it is, blah, blah, blah. And especially nowadays mm-hmm. where every player, you know, they might get like a couple weeks off or a month off from their training program. But the, otherwise, they're working all year round. Uh, it's not like they come to spring training and have to get on a throwing program. The, the pitchers are doing that anyways. They, they can ramp up pretty quickly these days. But it's those kids that are going to suffer the most, in my opinion, uh, from from this lockout. Um, just from an exposure standpoint, if not a ramping up and uh, acquainting oneself with how a major league camp is run. So it, it's a hell of a position. It's a tough position for, for them to be in. Luckily, the Cardinals have four kids that, it, it, like I said, two in particular, that will know how to handle it and, and make the best of the situation. Yeah, and that's great. That's, that is good to know. And, you know, again, with a guy like Yepes, at least, he's he's kind of on the radar already. You know, I know at least for the fan base, we're talking a lot about him being that DH or, or, or having a spot. So maybe he doesn't have to do quite as much to get attention because he's already got some. But, you know, the other guys, yeah. I mean, they really kind of, you know, they've kind of added to it, but they're, they're not expected to be on this roster. And we've seen spring trainings that have, have forced people's hands um and especially you know on the pitching side of things where things are still kind of up in the air at least to, to you know let the people know hey this is a guy we could call up you know from memphis when we need somebody but with with games going away there's a lot fewer chances to get in there and yeah i hope you just hope for a strong start at memphis and hope people are are paying attention yeah and then it makes me wonder too like not like it's, it happens a ton, but like the Jordan Hickses of the mm-hmm. world who come to spring training, who, you know, just find their way onto the way, radar, who push their way onto the radar. It, will they have that opportunity with a shortened spring training? You know, what will, I'm sure they'll have an opportunity, but how wide will that opportunity be? Like uh, one of the people I, I talked to Bernie, Bernie Nicholas about the other day was Andre Palante. Like, will he, in past spring trainings, you can see his position where Andre Palante would be a kind of guy who would push his way into a conversation mm-hmm. who fans would know. And then they might, he might put himself in a, in the conversation to f- make a major league debut out of a bullpen or as a spot start uh, at some point midway through the year. Will that type of player uh, really, at least, you know, it might not hurt their development because they're in camp right now and they're practicing with team officials now, but will it hurt their chances of getting exposure uh, and maybe making a major league debut a little earlier, or at least, um, you know, having the exposure work to their favor. But then again, they are in front of the coaching staff now, so maybe the exposure that they're getting might uh, might actually work in their favor. Uh, but yeah, anyways, it's just like the whole trickle effect. You don't know, uh, you don't know how it's all going to play out. Yeah, and that's that kind of leads me a little bit to a point I've been kind of thinking about as this if this does drag into the season and we hope it doesn't, but if it does, the minor league season is not going to be affected. I mean, it's going to be affected the fact that those guys on the 40 van can't play, but you know, there'll be a team in Memphis playing and there'll be a team in Springfield playing. Is this a, a little bit of a boost for the minor leagues? Do you think there's a little bit more attention turned there? I know that there's, there has been more of that over the last little bit anyway, but does it give them a little bit of a chance to shine, especially when 2020, they didn't have that at all. I think that at first it will. Uh, I, you know, today was an encouraging sign to watch, uh, you know, Twitter at least 
um, get really excited about college baseball. Yeah. And I think if, if the world is excited about college baseball, that bodes well for the world getting excited about minor league baseball too. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully, but uh, we'll see, you know, uh, this, I remember during the, during COVID everybody got excited about, you know, baseball abroad uh, mm-hmm. that first couple days, those maybe even the first couple weeks. And then no one really talked about it or said anything. So yeah, you know, I, I my hope is uh, it's sustainable and it lasts throughout the year. People go to their nearest minor league stadium. That's you know more more than likely, unless you're on the you know the, in the Pacific Northwest, more than likely it's probably two hours away from you at at like the longest or closest minor league stadium. Um, but yeah, I I don't I don't know how sustainable it is. People seem to you know baseball. I'll tell you this. Major League Baseball will tell tell you this, and hopefully they know this. Uh, people will lose interest with so many other things to grab their interest. But yeah, no, I, I definitely think that uh, minor league baseball will uh, will get a bump initially. I'll tell you one thing that I saw on Twitter today that I'm really interested in is apparently the Detroit Tigers are allowing fans to come and watch their minor leaguers play and work out for free uh, at their spring training facility. And I'm anxious to see how many other teams do that um, over you know over the next however long it is spring training goes on or the lockout goes on or whatever, because I think, I think that's super interesting. And I think that would help too. And I also think that if teams had half a brain, they, they'd record that stuff and put it out to social media, but it's not going to happen. At least not with the Cardinals. It'll probably happen with some teams though. Yeah. It's, it's amazing from the outside looking in how much, Major League Baseball doesn't understand what they can, what's good for minor league baseball and what they should be doing for minor league baseball. I mean, we, we know that they're providing housing this year for players, which is a step. I don't know how big of a step, but it's a step. But, I mean, you still look at those, you know, those salaries in the minor leagues and they're terrible, but and I'm not, I mean, a number of people have said that the first team that pays their minor leaguers so they can be trained and and work all year long, it's going to have a huge advantage. And yet none of them will actually do it. Yeah. And you know, there's still exceptions to the whole housing thing that everybody's really anxious to watch play out. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are some teams that are, you know, footing some, some more, um, footing, footing the bill a little bit more and more here and there for their, for their minor leaguers. Uh, believe it or not, the Cubs are one of those teams. The Astros are another one of those teams. But yeah, like uh, I think right now would be the time to test all of that stuff. You know, you're not, I mean, you weren't going to pay the major league salaries anyway in spring training, but mm-hmm. if it gets into the season, if it creeps into the season, uh, some of that budget would be smartly allotted, in my opinion. It'd be an intelligent way to allot those funds to work on uh the results that you're getting at the minor league level, if you're treating them like human beings instead of indentured mm-hmm. servants. And I think that that, I mean, we, you know, Daniel, we've talked about this before. I've talked about that. That's the next frontier. You know, every team's looking for an edge and the, the edge has always been the minor leagues go back to branch Ricky, you know, yep. having one and a, one and a half million affiliates to try to get <laughs> as many players as possible into the organization, you know, like, uh, the minor leagues have always been the advantage. It's just a matter of how you can cultivate the minor leagues and uh, feeding them better corn is going to get them uh, as a healthier product. And if nothing else, you know, neither side 
is covering themselves in, you know, PR glory in this, but that would be a, a, at least a something that would help the ownership. You know, again, it's not going to erase everything they've done, but you know, if they came out and said, okay, we're, you know, we're making this really significantly raising the salaries for these minor leaguers, you know, it gets them a little bit of goodwill. I don't, like I said, I don't know how much, but it's more than they have right now. Cause I, I don't know, except for the occasional comment on a, on a, message board or an article not too many people uh taking the owner's side in this whole thing so yeah um that's i mean and it's not i mean when you know we, i think i know you've done it we've seen the numbers it's not significant it's like the cost of a middle reliever to kind of get these guys out of poverty uh, and the whole system out of poverty um yeah it's like two i, I think an entire system it's like two point uh i'm gonna end up butchering it. it's not a mm-hmm. lot it's only like $2 million or something like that to get every like pay all the minor leaguers 40 grand or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I know that there's some that want to be paid year round. I don't necessarily, I can understand the not doing that paying because they don't pay the major league players. We you, There's people that have contracts, but you've got to pay them enough in the six or seven, eight months that they actually work for you to make it last the other three or four months. That's, you know, you're right. If you pay them 40,000 in that time period, that's going to go a, a whole long way for them being a lot better. And, you know, you won't have people dropping out of baseball because they actually have to pay rent. Um, so, but yeah. then, then you have baseball arguing that they shouldn't pay, pay them in spring training because it's a great opportunity. So obviously that's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a mess is what it is. My, my favorite, it's been fun to watch people react to like minor leaguer W2s. Uh, mm-hmm. that have been put on like TikTok of like $11,000. Like people freak out about that. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, I feel I, my heart goes out to those kids that have to deal with it, but it's been fun to watch those reactions because in my mind, I'm thinking that same guy would have made 32% less, uh, you know, a year ago. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, they, they eliminated uh, two levels of the minor leagues and in the process gave these guys raises and, the raises got them to, and not only, you know, only at the top level of the minor leagues, got them to eleven to $12,000 and yeah. crappy meals uh, at home. Yeah, the, the what they're paying A-ball guys, I mean, I feel like I could adopt one of them at that rate. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's yeah, like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I know they have, well, they have had host families in the past that have helped somewhat, but that's still, I mean, it's like, wow that's that's so little um and and the you know just how do you how do you survive on that and they don't very well that's and that's the problem but uh, hopefully hopefully at some point in time there's going to be a little bit of you know understanding of what's going on there and and, and how much that investment because that's what it is i mean if you invest in your minor leaguers it's going to pay off at some point in time um you know, not for everybody, obviously, but there's going to come out enough of that that you're going to make that money back. But, you know, the owners have always been a lot, and not always, but often are a lot more short-term game versus long-term, even though they're going to be around for a while. It's, it's really strange. One of the things that, in my mind, makes baseball America's sport is that it, it used to be something that everybody could play always, all of the time. And, mm-hmm. and this is something you and I have talked about before, too. 
you know, it's not that anymore. Um, every sport nowadays is so expensive to play. Now, sure, I mean, you can play it on the cheap for sure, but uh, when you're talking about kids in labs at the age of 10, you know, with $350 uh, bats and mm-hmm. equipment, you know, you have to have advantage at the get-go now to get into the the majors, to get into the yeah. minors, and to get recognized. Uh, like that's, it's not a sport for everyone anymore. And sure, you know, they're doing everything they can to, to mine every corner of the earth, uh, to find baseball players. And there are people out there who aren't well to do that are going to be discovered and who are going to, uh, rise above the rest. But it's just, (laughs) I think about with baseball in particular, it's, it's almost like, it's almost priced itself out uh, from a, a preteen level. And then that, mm-hmm. that extends to the minors where you have to have the top of the line equipment. You have to have, you know, it's it just the sport has become unaccessible almost. And from the lowest, lowest levels, which says nothing for the affiliated minor leagues. And I don't think that can be good for baseball in particular. Like, you know, I, I, that's there's an inner city issue that has plagued baseball for you know forever, but has specifically plagued baseball for a couple decades now. Um, but it, it like it extends past that. There's a whole other accessibility issue, maybe even with our society in general, but just in this instance with baseball that cannot be good for the sustainability of the sport. Uh, I, I know that that's kind of off topic, and uh, obviously bigger thinking than I'm capable of sustaining. Uh, but I, I don't know. There's just baseball doesn't only seem out of touch with its fans, but it seems out of touch with uh, how to, I don't know how to reach everyone. Yeah. Well, and I think that kind of ties in what I was saying earlier, this, this idea that we've got to push every edge. We've got to get every little advantage. And if that means starting at, eight years old with a swing coach and a a strength coach and all that. We, that's, that's what we're going to do. And there's, again, there's no way to tell somebody how, what not to do or what you shouldn't do, but it just feels like that continued drive. I I don't know how to say it because obviously there's always going to be this drive to get better, but this drive that, that never is, there's never good enough. And you're starting earlier and you're, you know, finding every little, little sliver of possibilities you know it just feels like it it becomes a little soulless and it becomes a little like you said it's just these these sorts of people these kind of elite people because not everybody can afford a swing coach and a strength coach at age of eight um so i don't know it feels like maybe all of the focus all in general is just a little bit off but i don't know the best way to fix it because there's you know, you don't want to, you don't want to nerf the sport, I guess, to some degree and, yeah. and start putting limitations on it. But on the other hand, you know, maybe it would be a little bit, at least more interesting to watch if it, if they did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have, you know, my issue is that it seems like everything has to be final. Like, <laughs> like why does, why does everything have to be final? Why, why does it have to have the DH? Like, 
all right, if we're changing it and that's just how it is, like, and that, that extends past the, uh, the DH and the NL, like, and I, again, it goes back to testing grounds and using the independent leagues and using the minor leagues. But like, if you were to ban parts of the shift, like, why does it, why does all of us always have to seem so final? Like, can't we adjust yeah. on the fly if, if we ban the shift for a month and it's, it's terrible, uh, can't we just like, can we just go back? Like, I, I hate all the bureaucracy, bureauc- bureaucracy that goes with, with rule changes and uh, base changes to the, to the sport I love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a, yeah, because the final, it's, there's a lot of people that this has to be done this way. And, you know, that's, that's the it. And, you know, who knows, maybe the pendulum will swing back somehow along the way. I don't know how, but I, I would kind of like to see that. Um, before we wrap for the evening, let's at least try to end on somewhat of a positive note. And you're not allowed to be anywhere if you're not talking minor leaguers um, fairly specifically. So um, a lot of rankings are out and we don't worry too much about the rankings, but a lot of, a lot of buzz, I guess, about Jordan Walker Um is that becoming a little bit overdone? Uh, I mean, I know there's a lot to be a, a like about the kid, but or do we get concerned that he's becoming a little bit, people are going to expect a little too much from him? Oh, you know, the, the managing expectations of prospects is uh, yeah. a full-time job, Daniel. Uh, I think that we're already beyond that. Like, um, yeah, I think we're already beyond the, the being able to manage the masses' expectations of them. I think we're far beyond that. Uh, but I do think that your educated sports fan, your educated uh, follower of the minor leagues, will understand. Uh, as I get a real quick drink of water, hold on, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I think your average minor league watcher will know that there are still a lot of obstacles in his way to get to being the player that he's capable of being. Uh, even if he is more than likely up to those challenges. Um, but yeah, no, he, look, he deserves, he deserves all of the praise, all of the accolades that he's getting. Just, you know, a, a reminder to everybody that uh, the trials and tribulations are just starting for him. You know, he, he's an advanced young man physically, and he's about ready to, whether it be at the beginning of the year or in May or June, uh, go up against double-A pitching. And uh, that's that's the next level. That's that's a whole other world. There's going to be struggle there. And even if it doesn't seem like there's a statistical struggle, I can promise you there's going to be struggle. I've watched the best players uh, that have come through the Cardinals organization over the last couple of years. I've watched them at those levels. And even though their stats might be fancy, there's still struggle there. So, uh, look, he – I know that – I know that Baseball America said that he should be in consideration like uh, for maybe a top five spot next year if all goes well. And he's definitely he's definitely in that spot. Like he's definitely talented enough with that bat. Uh, that bat has enough damage capability uh, that if he continues on this trajectory that he could very well be a top five or top ten prospect in all of baseball next year, uh, regardless of how his defense is. But the obstacles are really just starting for him. Uh, so – you know, just because a year from now he's prospect number thirty-five or forty-five or fifty-five instead of five, that that's still a that's still a huge success of an age nineteen to twenty season. Uh, but yeah, no, look, the the short answer is he deserves it. 
there's going to be struggle, but he's he's up for it. He's up for it because, and I mean, unless things change drastically this off season, uh, he is just so advanced in his physique and his approach at the plate. Uh, you know, defense issues aside, uh, that uh, there's no reason to think that he's not going to be a major league contributor within the next, you know, uh, full two seasons. So not at the beginning of next season, if there is a next season, uh, but at the end of next season, you know, I believe that he might be close to being major league ready by the end of next season, if not the beginning of next season, but we just have to see what this year looks like. Mm, that would be, when, when would you say, because I'm thinking back, when was the last time the Cardinals probably had a top five, like consensus top five pro- prospect? Because Pujols wasn't. I mean, Pujols yeah. was good, but, you know, he kind of, you know, he didn't spend a whole lot of time in the minor leagues. Are we going back to, you know, J.D. Drew and Rick and Keel? Are we, is it that far back or is there somebody I'm missing? No, I mean, Alex Reyes, you know, Alex Reyes is a pretty well considered. I mean, I think he was like top three or top five. I think mm-hmm. Oscar Tavares was top five uh, with MLB. You know, I um, you know, somebody that um, uh, in our our prospects after our group chat, Todd Thiessen brought up is you know people forget that at one point Shelby Miller was like a top five prospect in all of baseball mm-hmm. too. Uh, but aside from those guys, it's uh, you know, and again, the consensus makes it tough because some people might have right. them ten or twelve or yeah, and even Dylan Carlson was like eight on one of those um, prospect lists. But yeah, look, it's been a it's been a while since they've had somebody who flirted as the number one prospect in baseball. Uh, and I, if I, you know, that was probably Alex Reyes. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. But yeah, and then of course that's, you know, a, a factor in where they draft and their draft strategies, which have changed under Randy Flores and, and for the better, I would guess. I mean, his, his drafts have been, pretty interesting so far and and so far pretty successful it seems like yeah there are drafts that keep the fans on their toes um they it's been interesting to hear uh how things planned are kind of like um kind of worked out for the cardinals on draft day on various draft days since randy flores took over like you know there's a there's a lot of talk about how they almost drafted Cade cavalli uh instead of drafting jordan walker um, they almost drafted Daniel Espino instead of drafting Nolan Gorman. Uh, you know, it kind of came down to who was willing to take the funds that they wanted. Uh, you know, not just Daniel Espino. Uh, there's been, you know, countless names. Uh, so, yeah, um, it's even some names with Michael McGreevy last year. Yeah. So, yeah, like it, it's they, they've had a very, very interesting handful of drafts under him uh, and his ability and the Cardinals ability underneath him to kind of adjust on the fly has been really, really impressive. They, they've had some issues drafting pitching, you know, aside from really Dakota Hudson, uh, not very many of their pitching picks have panned out, but that we're kind of on the cusp of seeing that change too, because in uh, 2019, the Cardinals went pitcher heavy and that's Andre Pallante. That's Connor Thomas, uh, you know, potentially Zach Thompson, um, but uh, yeah, you know, a, a lot of those early pitching picks, uh, pitching picks that they've had underneath them, aside from Dakota Hudson, haven't really haven't really panned out just yet. But they've also had a lot of those guys like Griffin Roberts and uh, 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 Stephen Gingery, Gingery, like just get hurt and not have a chance to pan out. So uh, he he's done a great job. The Cardinals have done a great job. 
And hopefully it continues because, uh, you know, just like you alluded to, drafting in the mid to late round, you know, mid to late first round every year doesn't make it easy to have sustained success. And the Cardinals have had that underneath them. You mentioned Griffin Roberts. I know he struggled a lot last year. He struggled, you know, entirely in, in some with injury and, and other way. Is it, is this a make or break for him? Is it too late for him um, in, in the system? I'm anxious to find out, Daniel. <laughs> no, look, I, I, uh, I view all of these guys as like, if you've been in the system for a little bit and you haven't made headway, especially as Major League Baseball looks to continue to shorten the rosters yeah. of, of minor league teams, and you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think we're entering an age in baseball where baseball owners think that they have enough safety nets in place. Uh, between the quote-unquote draft league, uh, between the wood bat, you know, it used to be the Appalachian League, uh, between Ooh. the independent leagues, that I think we're going to start to see a lot of these guys get fewer and fewer chances at, at success, uh, especially with as measurable as data has become, and especially with as competitive as college, measurable and competitive as college baseball has become. So, yeah, I think... I do think that a lot of these guys uh, aren't going to stick around, like aren't going to be able to stick around and be a success, have a chance at success uh, the way that they have in the past. Absolutely. I I definitely think that's one of the changes that's, that's already here and that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a real good point because you're right. There's always somebody coming up, but there's also not enough room to, to keep all those guys around uh, yeah. at some point. It's def- definitely different from the branch Ricky days where he just went and bought another team. Yeah. So uh, that's, I'm, I'm, there's another fun thing here that I've been like workshopping mentally. So, you know, it's a disaster, you know, that it's mm. going to be just an explosion <laughs> of ideas that'll probably uh, end this podcast. But so it seems like from talking to people and this is supported by statistical data, but we've seen that at the lowest level of the minor leagues, at the uh, the Florida Complex League and at the Dominican League, um, like guys aren't playing the full season, right? So you might see someone like Markevian Hens, who everyone calls Tink, but I refuse to because his name's Markevian, and that's awesome. Uh, you, you'll see Markevian Hens only throw eight innings at the at the Complex League. You'll see mm-hmm. Trajan Fletcher only get forty at bats or thirty at bats at the Complex League. I believe that as teams have a um, as teams have invested dollars into equipment, into technology, I think that what we're going to see at the minor league level is more of a, like what we have uh, with, with teenagers, with kids, we're going to see more lab work, more measurements, more biomechanical stuff uh, uh, implemented. And I have a feeling that with teenagers in particular, people who don't go through the college baseball system, I think that we are going to see them like that be their first step in the minors. I I think that's going to become more common. And I think that's how we're going to start to see baseball cut back even more affiliates. Now, I don't know. I don't know if that means another round of cuts where there's only three full seasons in one complex league that becomes uh, something else, but the the agreement, if you want to call it, between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball comes up in 2031. We have already seen, uh, you know, this this push to cut 
more and more minor league base player jobs. And I, I, something to keep an eye on over the course of the next eight years, <laughs> uh, this stupid cough, um, of the last of the next eight years or so is what happens there. So not to get way ahead of myself, but don't be surprised if in the near future, uh, somewhat near future, we're talking about even further contraction <clears throat> while steering ourselves into <laughs> measurable complex leagues. Yeah. But see, to, to me, well, I get that's important and I get what they're getting at there and I understand that. I mean, it just feels like it's a recipe for some really bad baseball overall because they need those reputation rep, reputations repetitions on the field to make the play. I mean, you know, yeah. Nolan Arenado didn't learn how to, you know, throw it to second base on a bunt, you know, through drill. I mean, he had to play, he had to know, he had to hone those instincts. And, you know, I'd think if you guy can come out there and have, you know, a great swing or whatever, but, you know, if he hasn't played shortstop with this guy, you know, playing second base and doesn't know when to throw it and all that, you know, I, and again, I, I think that there's some, there's definitely a lot to be said about doing the lab work, but there seems to be, for me, a lot to be said about, you know, playing the game as well. Yeah. Now I'm, look, I'm on board with you too. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't think that you can get better at baseball without live reps. But uh, I, I, uh, yeah, no, there's no but there, honestly. I, I just don't think you can get better with live, live reps without live reps. It's been fun to watch because the Pirates had gone to a more um, <laughs> measurable, yeah, type of you know laboratory setting for some of their lower lower level players, and now they're talking about now we we understand now that we have to get them on the field as soon as possible, getting live reps. So, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I think um, I, I I don't know. I, we'll see how it all pans out. There's still plenty of time between now and then uh, to test theories and see where it goes. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction that owners are looking in as they continue to try to cut costs. Yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't be a surprise at all. Um, but you know, again, short term gain versus long term loss. Uh, in my feeling, you're going to wind up with a a worse product and less likely to, to be able to get people to play the game. Right. And, you know, that's going to cost you eventually, but you know, that's, you know, they can always sell and, you know, cash in all their millions of dollars in appreciation, I guess, if that's the case. So, um, wrap it up today. Um, two, two players, one that you're interested in watching one that might've been drafted last year and one that is just not another guy that's just not on the forty man. Ooh 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 ooh. Uh, no, I uh, so okay. So two players I'm excited to see. One that was drafted last year, and one that's not on the forty man. So the first the first player that was drafted last year. Uh, again, you know, I want to see I want to see Joshua Baez. I have my mm-hmm. concerns about Michael McCreevy. I I'm, I'm anxious to see there, but like you know me, I don't necessarily like to talk about the first couple guys. Uh, the guy, the pitcher that I'm most interested in, and of course, you know, the, their first four picks were right-handed pitcher Michael McGreevy, outfielder Joshua Baez, uh, uh, outfielder uh, uh, Ryan Holgate, and then pitcher, right-handed pitcher Austin Love. Uh, the, the next pitcher was Gordon Graceffo, 
And mm. I really like Gordon Graceffo. I think there's a chance that of all of the arms in the draft, Gordon Graceffo is the pitcher that makes it to the majors quick. Uh, I, I think that he has great command. I think he has biting stuff. Like, he's the one that I'm really anxious to see. Um, first off, I'm anxious to see where the Cardinals assign him. But I'm anxious to see how his stuff plays up <laughs> at the higher levels of the minors. He was dominant, uh, lights out. So was Austin Love. Um, and just a small taste after being drafted. So I I like both Austin Love and Gordon Graceffo. Those are... Those are two guys that I'm really, really keyed in on. Uh, later in the draft, there was a relief pitcher. His name's Andres Granillo, uh, and I he he has an interesting story. He pitches with a lot of emotion. He uh, he might have broke his hand punching something, and then that kind of hurt his pitching stock. But <laughs> <laughs> pardon me, he's a reliever, and I'm anxious to get a close eye on him. And then if you're talking about the pitcher, the players outside of the forty man that I'm like, I'm most anxious about, you know, I'm really excited to see what Alec Burleson looks like. You know, I, mm-hmm. after the way he burst onto the scene, you know, I, he's kind of that Juan Yepes where you see him and he doesn't look like the most athletic player, but he's athletic beyond his, like beyond his physical capabilities, beyond what is beyond what his body looks like. He has that, that natural athleticism that uh, maybe some people take for granted and I could see maybe never being on a top 100 list like Yepes, but maybe being a major league contributor on a way that other people aren't as good or aren't as effective. He just has that. You know, I, I want to see what kind of strides Evan Mendoza has made uh, at shortstop. You know, uh, I, I want to see what he looks like. You know, he's, he's been so highly invested in the NFT community and making money doing the NFT. Okay. Uh, I want to see, like, I want to see what his next step is as a baseball player. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, <laughs> all of those pictures from 2019, uh, uh, Logan Gragg, a little bit later in that draft, you know, uh, uh, Connor Thomas, I want to see how close he is to banging on the major league door. Andre Pallante, I want to see how close he is to banging on the major league door. Uh, there's, there are so many players, Chandler Redmond, how much bigger, how much stronger he's got Luke and Baker. I'm anxious to see how healthy he is, what shape he's in. And if his approach has taken the next step. Uh, towards a major league debut. Uh, uh, and then like someone like Zade Richardson, a, a catcher, played all the year at Peoria last year, super athletic, big strikeout capabilities, but big power. And I mean, he, he's just such a tough kid and he's he's a really solid catcher. And I know he's worked hard this offseason and I'm anxious to see what kind of, uh, what kind of strides he's made. So like, I, you know, the, the four guys who were added to the 40, I'm really excited about. You know, I you know I'm a champion of Brendan Donovan. I've been talking about Brendan Donovan since, almost since the Cardinals drafted him. I personally believe that he should be in the conversation to be a starting second baseman for the St. Louis Cardinals from day one of the 2022 season. Just my own personal opinion. I think it should be an open competition. I think whoever is the best out of uh, Edmund, DeYoung, Gorman, uh, Sosa, and Donovan – uh, get shortstop and second base. In my mind, that would be Edmund and maybe Donovan, maybe Gorman, uh, and then play it, play it from there. Uh, but like, I have I have high hopes for Yepes, uh, who I believe could be an everyday DH for the Cardinals without issue, uh, and, and Donovan. 
and then Pacheco and Walsh, who I think are going to be great taxi taxing between Memphis and St. Louis options for the, for the Cardinals uh, in the bullpen all year, if they can stay healthy, because that's been the issue with Walsh specifically. But those, it's all the guys on the outside of the 40 that are still my bailiwick. Like, those are still the guys that uh, I, I am looking the most forward to. And, you know, don't be surprised, and I know that you're not surprised, that Nolan Gorman isn't on that list. Matthew Libertor isn't on that right. list. Jordan, you know, I'm, Jordan Walker is really interesting. I, I am anxious, especially if I think – I believe that the Cardinals are going to get aggressive with him. I believe that the Cardinals are going to put him at double-A. I am hopeful that they don't screw around and that they just do it. And you know me, that's contrary to how I believe and how I operate. But I want to mm-hmm. see it. I think he's up to it. And even if he doesn't do well, that doesn't bug me at all. I want him at double-A because I think that's where his bat needs to be. Um, it, but he and Mason Wynn, like, I'm, I'm anxious to see the development that Mason Wynn's made and what the Cardinals' plan with Wynn is. And it, it's just, you know, with minor league baseball on the horizon, I'm just ready to to all of those guys who are on the, the dirty 40 or however many people are on there. I, I'm just, I'm anxious to really dig into all of them, Daniel. I'm very interested in the buddy cop movie that Wynn and Walker are going to probably put out by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, I think that should be, should be worth something. Um, you, you mentioned Luke and Baker and to wrap this up, but I have seen him be a possibility to be lost in the rule five draft. Do you think that is, or do you think the Cardinals lose anybody whenever they have their rule five draft, which may be like, you know, middle of the minor league season by now. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something I could see. I mean, that that's the best part about all this, right? Is uh, <laughs> you could get to spring training. All these guys could be there. And then the, Miami Marlins could draft him, and he just goes across the the hall there, <laughs> uh, which would be crazy. It'd be awful. But yeah, look, I I do think there's a chance with Baker. Yeah, we're so far removed from uh, prep for the Rule Five that I, like you know, other than like Kramer Robertson, some and you never know with some of those arms. Like you know, I remember a couple years ago when Chris Ellis was taken. Mm-hmm. You never know what team is going to be like. All right, that guy. You know, you never know what team's going to be like. Oh, Evan Krasinski. Uh, I could make the best out of him. You never know a team's going to do something like that. So in my mind, nearly every arm that wasn't protected that's available it has a chance of being selected. Connor Jones, like uh, that's, that's you just never know who's going to like find a guy with a six ERA and be like, uh, we'll give him a try. Um, the Padres know how to do that. So exactly, yeah. As long as they're basically teenagers, they'll do anything. <laughs> as long as they're so far away from the majors that they can't be productive. Uh, they're willing to take them. Um, but, yeah, you know, those bats, the only two bats that, like, I could see, maybe some team takes Julio Rodriguez. Uh, they think that he can be a productive backup catcher at the major league level now. But, you know, Kramer Robertson and Luke and Baker are the only two that I could see being selected. And, uh, you know, Robertson, to a lesser degree, it's just that he's such a good defensive utility player. He's already old. He's already, you know, you know for a prospect, 27, 28 years old. Um, and, and can do a little slugging, and he, you know he really made himself into the best version of himself. But uh, yeah, look, I, I, nothing would surprise me at this point. Nothing, um, even if they were to eliminate the Rule Five for this year, which is what I would do. But I, I yeah. doubt that the Players Association would be cool with that. Probably not. Probably not. Did Alan Cordova ever get his career back after being taken in the Rule Five draft? No, no. He, uh, you know, he ended up. <clears throat> Hold on one second. Yeah. Yes. Again, I apologize. I apologize to you, Daniel. I apologize to everyone. I, I've been dealing with a sinus infection uh, all week, and I finally almost got over it until Daniel asked me to do this with him tonight. 
And Sorry, uh, no, you, no. your coughing is probably more interesting than my talking. So <laughs> I think people will be fine with it. Maybe even my talking too. <laughs> Um, but no, you know, I, I don't think a lot of Cardinal fans realize this. I don't think a lot of baseball fans, if they even care, but Ellen Cordoba ended up having a really serious car accident. Hmm. Uh, it wouldn't have been, it wasn't the year after the Padres took him in the rule five. It, it was, so the Padres took him in the rule five and then he went down to the minors, you know, th- that next year and wasn't really effective. Right. And I think it was that following, it was the first day of spring training or maybe the first yeah, it was the first day of spring training, first day of pitchers and catchers reporting what would have been his third year in the Padres organization. He was in a, a really, really awful car accident. And uh, that sidelined him for, that I think, that entire season or the majority of that season. And uh, he's had a lot of trouble getting, you know, uh, having finding sustained major or minor league success since since getting healthy from that. Okay. Well, I, I, that kind of rings a bell, but um, I just knew that, you know, it, it feels like a lot of times these rule five guys, especially if they do it, something that young, they, they're just not ready for the major leagues. They don't get to play and, and it never, it doesn't work as well as I think it was designed to. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, if you get a guy like, yeah, you know, the Kramer Robertson types, 26, 27, you know, give him a chance to, don't let him get buried in the minors, but you know, when you're taking 19 year olds and sticking them in the major leagues, um, well, that's how you get Magnera Sierra, I guess. So, um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, I mean, you know, he wasn't Rule Five, but still, the Cardinals did that, and I, I don't know that it did him any good. And I, I sometimes wonder if it has uh, hampered Jordan Hicks too. Uh, I mean, I know injuries have played that role, but um, you know, what would his career have been like if he had? worked his way up versus you know immediately splashing into the pool i guess we'll never know yeah uh, and hopefully continue to hope that his his recovery is puts those kind of questions uh way on the on the back burner um kyle thanks for joining me even with the the sinus infection um it's always good to talk to you and um get a chance to you know kill some of this lockout time uh i appreciate it and uh look forward to seeing as you go through this year are you going to do the 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 gifts and the clips and stuff like you did last year for the minor leaguers yeah that's that my way? yeah that's that's my plan that's my plan i Good. again i I've, I've been trying to like logistically plan for that because i do think that we're going to have a huge influx of people uh at the beginning even if even if baseball's back in earnest um mm-hmm. like I, I i still think we're going to have a big influx of people at the onset of the minor league season, like uh, especially with Jordan Walker, especially if he's at double A, like trying to jump on that. But yeah, you know, I, I, I'll continue to, I'll continue to do my thing. Well, that's good. We would, we would be lost if you didn't. So um, until next time, Alan will maybe join me. Actually, I don't think Alan's joining me next week either. I think the baseball's keeping him away, but we're going to talk with, uh, John Denton, the new MLB.com uh, writer, is supposed to join me next week, so I'm looking forward to that. But until then, from for Kyle, I'm Daniel. Good night. Oh, what a pool. In the air, left field, and Pools has given St. Louis the lead. A dramatic, towering three-run home run. Stunned in disbelief here in Houston.